Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to read one verse for us today. But as I was preparing for this, I was just thinking about how much I love how our Bibles work. I mean, this is a living, breathing, transformative book. And when we read it, it goes to work on us. And sometimes that happens with entire books of the Bible. Sometimes we read a book of the Bible. Think about the first few times we read the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs, and it totally changed our lives. Or sometimes it works through chapters. You read a chapter like Romans chapter 6 or Romans chapter 8, and your life is headed in one direction, and then this book confronts it, and you head in an entirely new and different direction. But sometimes it's just a word or a verse that reaches out from this book and strikes us like lightning and electrifies a new life that is possible in the spirit before the once dead, now living and reigning Jesus of Easter. And I tell you that Ephesians 5.20, if we'll let it, is one of those verses. Let me read it for us. Giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do just that. We come before you. We bow our heads and our hearts. And we give you thanks, always and for everything, for the gift of life, the gift of your Son, the gift of sitting here this morning in our right minds to dig into your word and let it transform us. These are from your hands to ours, and we give you thanks to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you in his name. Amen. Friends, I want to ask you um, a question. I want to ask you, what happens in your hearts between you And God, when no one is watching. No accountability. No one leaning over your shoulder. It's you alone before God on a weekday. What happens in your heart between you and God? We know what happens when we're here in corporate worship. And that's a good thing. And it should happen. We know what happens in our life groups, when we're together with believers challenging each other. We know what happens when we're with Christian friends. We even know what happens on a blind Christian date when we're trying to put our most sanctified foot forward. But what do our spiritual lives really look like? What happens in the still, quiet moments between God and I? This idea of the spiritual life without someone looking over our shoulder makes me think, oddly enough, of the phenomena called the freshman 15. You guys know what I'm talking about? Freshman 15? Any freshmen in here who are halfway on their way to their 15? None? Okay. No one wants to admit it. Freshman 15, you guys know what I'm talking about. You go off to college, and for the first time you realize that the bulk of your meals 
all three of them are being eaten without any kind of adult supervision. No one's there to tell you what to eat, what not to eat. And you simultaneously realize that they leave the soda fountain on for breakfast. So it's like, I can have an ice cold Coke with my Frosted Flakes every day and no one's going to say anything. This is incredible. Some of you are like, dude, I'm a grown man and I still drink Coke for breakfast. It's like, all right, that's between you and God. Um, But to the freshmen, it's like, goodbye parents breathing down my neck about a healthy, well-balanced diet and hello 15 pounds. This is me living my life. I'll eat how I want to eat when no one's watching. Well, what about worship? What happens in my spiritual life before God when no one is watching? Because our verse says that gratitude is a sign of a healthy, vibrant walk with God. You show me someone who is thankful to God in Christ always and for everything, and I will show you a person whose feet I want to sit at to learn about Jesus. You show me someone who is putting down cynicism and picking up thanksgiving, and I will show you what Jesus meant when he said we might have life and have it abundantly. Gratitude is the sign, a sign of a healthy vibrant, spiritual walk with God. And so in the next 15 plus minutes, I want to savor every morsel of this verse so that none of it goes to waste on us. Look at verse 20. Paul says, giving thanks. It's a simple command, but it's radical. Godward gratitude flies in the face of man-centered self-sufficiency. Looking up to God in gratitude, it completely undermines what we hear in our culture today of man-centered self-sufficiency. I can think of few more countercultural acts than for a self-made middle-class American than to treat thanksgiving like breathing. Everything I have is from God, and everything is returned back in gratitude. We don't here mean hallmark special occasion gratitude. We're not talking about like Thanksgiving Day dinner table gratitude. We're not talking about score a touchdown and point up in the sky kind of gratitude. We don't mean that paper thin kind of gratitude that boasts in all the things that are great about myself and it tacks on a praise Jesus at the end. We are talking about a drop to our knees, Job-like gratitude that says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. That in God and God alone I live and I move and I have my being. I receive the whole of life, the good parts and the bad as a gift from God. That's biblical gratitude. That's what we're talking about. As I was studying this and thinking about this and chewing on it, two things from this passage and this chapter 
came to the fore as my favorite things about gratitude right now. Can I just tell you the two things that I love about biblical gratitude right now? One, it lets me look up towards God. And two, it lets me look away from my sin. It lets me look upward towards God because it rejects the naive view that I'm a self-made man and it just begins to acknowledge the bajillion ways that the God of the universe holds together such a fragile life and experiences and circumstances and even suffering. If I let it, It's going to free me from navel-gazing and self-congratulating, and it's going to get my eyes upward to God. Thanksgiving can become just one less moment in my day consumed with self-obsession. And I need that. Give me a minute away from myself and upward towards God. What a gift that he gives us. But secondly, it lets us look away from our sin. Thanksgiving doesn't play nice with the sins that are so rampant in my life. When Thanksgiving shows up at the dinner table, all the other sins have to scoot over. There's no room for both of them to be together. I I can't be cynical and thankful at the same time. Like I can't be overly critical And have gratitude at the same time. It's really hard for me to nurse self-pity. And to turn around and show thanksgiving to God in the exact same breath. You can't do it. It's like trying to sneeze with your eyes open. You ever tried to do that? Or you know, when your elementary school friends find out that you can lose an eyeball doing that. And then you all go around the room and try to do it. And it can't be done. Don't try this. Don't try to walk throughout your day and cut people down in criticism and try to turn around and give thanks to God always and for everything and the people he's placed in your life. You try to do those two things together and you might lose an eyeball. They're they're just not designed to be done together. Thankfulness never learned how to share. Praise God. It just barges in animated by the Spirit, and it completely takes over our life. That's a gift. This is essentially what Paul was trying to tell us back in verses 3 and 4. I don't know if you caught this when we were talking about sexual immorality, but look at verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, instead of all of that soul-sucking darkness, what could we possibly replace it with? But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. Put down sexual immorality and pick up gratitude. Those things don't mix. You can't be grateful to God for the gift of sexuality and pervert it at the exact same time. Those things don't go together. 
put down empty, worthless, self-centered talking and pick up gratitude. Those things don't mix. You can't waste empty words when you're using your time to give credit to God for everything. I love this. This is the gift of gratitude. It makes us look upward to God and it allows us to look away from our sins. It is a gift from God to us to be able to turn around and give thanks back to God. Now, I wish that was all that was in verse 20. That would be a pleasant thing to hear and be reminded of. But verse 20 goes on to actually say, giving thanks always and for everything. Always and for everything. Gratitude is all fun and games until someone says you have to do it always and for everything. How can people with cancer be grateful? How can you lose a loved one And be grateful. How how can it feel like we're in a season where God is not near me and doesn't hear me and isn't answering my prayers and I'm still supposed to turn around as a Christian and show some kind of appreciation towards him? Now, I know the typical Christian rebuttal that I've said you've said is, oh yeah? Well, you still should be thankful that God put food on your table, and a roof over your head. Like, no matter what, you should at least be grateful for that, right? That's how we kind of throw the ace down on the table. And it's like, okay, calm down, gratitude police. You're just changing the subject. I'm telling you where I'm experiencing a world of grief, and you're telling me to look over here where I'm not experiencing grief, and to give thanks to God for that, and to forget about this, but I can't forget about this. This is, this is my world. This is what's hurting me right now. And I want to know how I can apply Ephesians 5.20 to this. Not that. This is really, really important. Paul doesn't take for granted that we can muscle gratitude in life and in suffering Out of thin air. In fact, Paul assumes in this entire letter that we can't muster any of this spiritual obedience. Thankfulness is not inevitable. It's supernatural. It's not a work of the flesh. It's a gift of the Spirit. That's why Paul prays for us in chapter 1, verse 18, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we might know the hope and the riches and the power that we have right now. That's why Paul gets on his knees in chapter 3, verse 14 and following. He doesn't presume on any of this, but instead he begs God that our hearts would be strengthened to know in this moment even in suffering, the love that God has for us. Godward gratitude is not something we can muster by sheer willpower. It never is in good days, and it certainly isn't in days of suffering. It's a gift from God that we return to Him. That means in those rare moments where we are thankful, We can actually be thankful to God for our thankfulness. 
It's a gift from him. Chapter 2, verses 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Which means if I'm able to wake up and in my right mind give thanks to God for good or for ill, when the Lord gives and when the Lord takes away, God says, that's exactly what I planned. I laid out this path of goodness and you are walking precisely in that path. We always have access to supernatural gratitude. That is always a gift that God wraps and lays on the table and sets before us in any circumstance, at any point, and we can reach out and grab it. I love what Mike Mason says in our Lent book study. He says, the kingdom of God is not for sometimes, it's for always. It's not for sometimes, it's for always. The abundant life in Christ, it is for always. Gratitude is for always, even in suffering, even in inconvenience. Yesterday, I was taking a run on the river with my 11-year-old son. We're taking a little jog together, and I'm telling Judah what my sermon is on. I kind of gave him the cliff notes. Hey, I'm talking about gratitude. Isn't this crazy that God says we can give thanks always and for everything? And it just makes me think of this beautiful day and this river and I'm spending time with my son and, and I can be grateful for all of that and turn that back into praise to God. Isn't that wonderful? And my son, who is utterly sarcastic and gets that all from his grandmother, my mom, Uh, turns to me (laughs) with this sly look and says, you mean you can be grateful when you just found out that your kids put dirt in the gas tank of your lawnmower and irreparably destroyed it? (laughs) And I wanted to say, shut up, Judah. You don't understand what I'm talking about, man. (laughs) You'll understand this when you're older. But he's right. I mean, it's a silly example. But God's not going to leave me alone on a Saturday, left to my own vices of control and anger and impatience. He laid the groundwork before me to expose those things and to remind me that my forgiveness is not like his forgiveness, but I want it to be. My patience is not like his patience, but I want it to be. He's going to gently expose those things and show me the reality of my heart so that I can afresh live by repentance and faith and dependence on him. That's the gift of gratitude from God. Yes, we can grieve. Yes, we can mourn. Yes, we can endure consequences of sin and face them. Yes, we can cry out to God. But he gives the gifts of gratitude always and for everything, even in suffering. The examples of that just abound in Scripture. You can just see men and women who suffer and get the gift of gratitude all over the place, Old Testament and New Testament, in our Bibles. Right now I'm reading the letter to the Philippians with a friend. And you guys know that Paul wrote this when he was in prison and he was facing what he thought was going to be the death penalty. 
Like he writes in chapter 1, I don't know if I'm going to die or if I'm going to live. I have no idea. And Philippians comes to us as one of the happiest letters in the Bible. I think about the prophet Daniel. We all know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We know that he has risen to power and he's being persecuted and people are out to get him and he's going to be persecuted for praying to God. But he takes that letter and he goes home and back to his room and we get this one verse window into Daniel's prayer life in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 which says, this is what Daniel had always done and will keep doing. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. I can all but guarantee that getting on our knees three times a day in our suffering, in gratitude, will change the landscape of our grief today. It's going to change the landscape today. It might not do a thing about the circumstance. It might not do a thing about the diagnosis. It might not do a thing about the relational tension. It might not do a thing about our workplace or our living situation or our spouse or our family member. I can all but guarantee we get the gift of gratitude and we fall on our knees three times a day to give thanks to God and it will change the landscape of our suffering. That's Paul, that's Daniel. I want to talk about Jesus. That Greek word for the English phrase we keep using, giving thanks, giving thanks, you'll recognize that Greek word because it's the word Eucharist. Eucharist. When Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed at Passover, he served the Lord's Supper to the disciples. It says when he broke bread, he gave thanks, Eucharist, and gave the elements to his disciples. And within a generation, the church took up the mantra that the supper we serve here today, our giving of thanks is going to be called the Lord's table, the Eucharist. This is his thanksgiving. Think about that for a moment. Think about Jesus Hours before his agony, he bows his head, he breaks the bread, he gives thanks to God, and he says, God, thank you for this bread that's going to feed our bodies, and thank you for this, my broken body, that is going to feed our souls. Because Jesus, with thanksgiving, And with the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, and his body was broken, we now stand as the recipients of this new gospel life of grace. We confess our sins, we repent of them, and run from them, and turn to Jesus, and by faith receive him alone for our salvation. We trust that he alone is the one who saves us, not our good works, not what we can do, not even the gratitude that we want to show God in the Christian life, but only in his death and resurrection. We receive that, and a new life is open to us to give thanks to God always and for everything. There's a final thought here in verse 20. Giving thanks 
always and for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the gift of gratitude is really the gift of God himself. It's less of me and it's more of God. That's what it is. You know, my house, when my wife works really hard to prepare a meal and set the table and calls us all to the dinner table and we all come running, if a child comes in and starts by pointing out the things he or she doesn't have instead of the things they do have, where's my water? I thought we were having chicken tonight. Do I have to eat everything on my plate? That's my job to step in and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That ain't going to fly here. Apologize to your mother. Walk out of the room. Walk back in. And let's try this all over again. We literally do that in my house. Because you've just sized up the gifts and you've completely ignored the giver who's sitting next to me who has just laid the table before you. Now that works great with kids at the dinner table. I wish I had someone to do that for me when I get out of bed in the morning. Like when I wake up, And in those quiet moments in the morning, I immediately see my day for what it is, and I wish it weren't, and I wish I didn't have to face this person, and I wish I wasn't this way, and I wish I had the experience that my neighbor is having, and I wish this wasn't so, and I wish God would intervene and do this on my behalf, and I wish, and I wish, and I wish. I need a divine hand that puts its arm on my shoulder and says... Whoa, that's not going to fly here. Repent, get back in bed, get up, and try that all over again. You've just sized up the gifts on the table, and you have completely ignored the giver. God wants to give us himself in gratitude. God appears to us in his kind tender-hearted forgiveness. In his compassion that is new and fresh every morning, he appears to us as always and forever faithful. He gives us this day our daily bread. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. He promises us that we're never going to be tempted beyond what we can bear. He even gives us that small, still, quiet moment in the morning between us and God, child and father, to receive and give back the gift of thanksgiving itself in sweet communion. In our gratitude, we open arms wide and we receive the gift of God himself. Let's pray and give thanks. God, we are thankful. We are thankful always and forever, at all times and in everything, because you are gracious and kind and loving to us. You provide for us in absolutely every single way. We have all that we need today for life and godliness. Thank you for your son. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for gratitude to God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.